All right, so turn to Ecclesiastes chapter 11 and 12. This is it. This is the end of the book of Ecclesiastes. It's been a wild ride. It's been a a wonderful trip through a book that um, some people said, I've never ever heard a sermon series on the book of Ecclesiastes. Well, if you've been with us this entire time, you can never say that again. Uh, we We have dug into Ecclesiastes and we have tried to understand it as best we can. And at the very beginning, we saw Solomon begin to lay arguments that life was not worth living. That, that, that uh, life under the sun is meaningless in your English translations. And we saw that the, the word used there is hevel. It's, it, the, the Hebrew word is hevel, and it means smoke or no substance. Uh, life can be an enigma, confusing and chaotic. And he gave four arguments why it, life is hevel when lived under the sun. Uh, those four arguments were that, that life is just a monotony, it's boring, that, that there is vanity in wisdom, there's futility in wealth, and then there's the certainty of death. But being the wisest man to ever live, uh, like the prodigal son who finally came to his senses, uh, Solomon came to his senses, and Solomon in these last two chapters reviews those four arguments and then factors God into the picture. And it changes his perspective 180 degrees. He changes his conclusions from earlier on in what he wrote about 180 degrees. I mean, what a difference our sovereign, all-knowing, all-present, all-powerful creator makes in our life. Amen? Uh, Life isn't monotonous. God gives us all kinds of challenges and adventures, each in its own time for God's purposes. There's a time for everything, Solomon says. Money and wealth can be enjoyed and also used to glorify God. Human wisdom can't explain everything, so it's better for us to learn and listen to God as we work our way through life, not lean on our own wisdom and understanding, which often borders on folly. And as for the certainty of death, we can't avoid it. So let's enjoy the days that God grants us and let's make the most of every opportunity that he gives us. I mean, I I hope that you have learned as much as I have this summer about Solomon, about our own lives, about uh, the futility of life and how if we live with a humanistic view, how empty and, and discouraging it can be. Um, God has taught us well that life under the sun is crazy and futile if that is where our focus stays. But it shouldn't. Our focus should not be there because if it is, we end up discouraged. We end up in despair. And we end up doubting God's existence, whether he's there with us. And so in the last two chapters of Ecclesiastes, Solomon gives us his his ultimate conclusion And then a personal application for each. And in doing so, he gives us four pictures of life. I love these pictures that he gives, which parallel his four arguments. And along with each picture, he admonishes us to live a certain way. And the first one is this. You see, life isn't monotonous. Life is an adventure. And so we need to live by faith. Life is an adventure, and we need to live by faith. I have always said 
that life with Jesus is an adventure. There is, I have never, I've always argued with people, look, being a Christian, living in a relationship with Jesus Christ, it's not boring. It's not, yeah, you think it's all goody, goody, can't ever have fun life that the enemy wants to convince us that it is. It's not. It's as good as it ever gets. It's the best. Our, uh, our mission statement here at North Hills is this, growing as followers of Christ and inviting others to the adventure. That has been on the top of my dry erase board in my office since the first day I started as lead pastor here. Growing as followers of Christ and inviting others to join the adventure. Now, one of the ways that we, we do that, part of that mission, uh, uh, one of our vision statements is we do that by loving God and loving people. That's how we grow as followers of Christ. That's how we invite others to the adventure because it is an adventure. Now, always a bowl of cherries? Of course not. Uh, Never, but definitely the best way to live. So look at verses one through six with me, if you would, of Ecclesiastes chapter 10. Ship your grain across the sea. After many days, you may receive a return. Invest in seven ventures. Yes, in eight. You do not know what disaster may come upon the land. If clouds are full of water, they pour rain on the earth. Whether a tree falls to the south or to the north, in the place where it falls, there it will lie. Whoever watches the wind will not plant. Whoever looks at the clouds will not reap. As you do not know the path of the wind or how the body is formed in a mother's womb, so you cannot understand the work of God, the maker of all things. Sow your seed in the morning, and at evening let your hands not be idle, for you do not know which will succeed, whether this or that, or whether both will do equally equally well. All right, so in these first six verses here, we have a picture, we have pictured a merchant sending out his ships and a farmer sowing seeds. We don't know so much about merchanting, uh, shipping, that sort of thing. Maybe some of you do. Maybe you were in the Navy or maybe um, you were in a shipyard at one time. What we do know here is farming and seeds for the most part. Now, the merchant is subject to the weather. A merchant is subject to the seas, the levels, uh, when the tide is in, when the tide is out. Reefs, they could run their ship aground. Um, sometimes they don't know, especially in Solomon's day. They didn't know where the reefs were. They didn't have radar. Uh, you know, they sent their ships out in faith. And, and a farmer is subject to the weather, right? We can't control the weather, no matter how much we wish we could. We can't control how much irrigation water is going to be available for the summer, even though we wish we could. Uh, we, can, we can fertilize, we can plant, and then what? We kind of have to just step back and let God do the rest. There is, some people say farming is a big gamble. Farming is a big step of faith. It's a big step of faith that God's going to do what he said he would do. Isn't that true of all of us in the life that we live every day? We can live it in faith. We can, look, if Solomon says, if, if a farmer worries about the wind or, or the, the, uh, the merchant worries about what's going to happen and, and puts too much weight on the risk, they may never leave the house. We can't live our life that way. 
We can't look at things as they might be and base our decisions on those things. It takes faith in our Savior and Creator to move forward in our life. And we need to do just that. In verse 2, Solomon says the merchant should diversify and not rely solely on one venture. After all, right, true faith is not presumption. True faith is not this is the one thing. Solomon says, why not? Look, send seven, eight, send eight ships out there. Trust Trust them. Live with a little risk, right? Um, sometimes I just wonder why farmers, I've, I've wondered this, why do they diversify so much? Right? Because, I mean, you're raising beans. They need kind of cooler days. Uh, you know, they, they put nitrogen in the ground. Um, you can't walk through them when they're wet because you're going to spread blight. Um, and then you've got a, a corn, corn that needs hot days. You like plant them right next to each other. So what would a farmer say? Why would a farmer diversify? Sort of hedging their bets, maybe? So, you know, so that we don't put all our eggs in one basket. Solomon is saying, don't put all your eggs in one basket, but still in living life that way, there's risk and there's faith. And we have to trust God. See, true faith is not presumption. We're once again reminded by Solomon that humans don't know the future. But Solomon also says that, that we can worry about that so much that we become paralyzed or even worse, careless with our life. Because we just figure, ah, I'm just going to do whatever. No, he says, don't, don't live that way. Be careful. But we got to keep moving on in this adventurous journey. The, the farmer illustration repeats some of these themes. Clouds are changing. Winds are changing. We shouldn't be afraid to keep living and working. Uh, Billy Sunday said that, it, that an excuse is the skin of a reason stuffed with a lie. When you make an excuse for something, it's the skin of a reason stuffed with a lie. Life is an adventure, and we must often launch out by faith, even when we don't know what's coming next. God has a time and a purpose for everything, so we live by faith. We trust him no matter what. He formed us. Praise God that his ways are not our ways, right? We live by faith, trusting his works, trusting his sovereignty. There is a time to be born and a time to die. There is a time to sow and a time to reap. A time for everything under the sun when given over to the God over the sun. A Psalm 139, 14 and 15 says, I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful. I know that full well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was made in the secret place, when I was woven together in the depths of the earth. You were created by God. He wove you together. Now, one option, of course, is to live life humanistically, only under the sun. And if we do that, life is monotonous. It's boring. It's smoke. It's toil, it's work, it's sleep, to get up half tired, drink a cup of coffee, go back to work. That's the way life only lived under the sun is. It's heaven. Money pulls us to greed, fear paralyzes us. But when we live in faith, faith in our Savior, Jesus Christ, and I'm talking unconditional faith and obedience, life is an adventure. It's an adventure. Now, if we choose to live life humanistically only under, under the sun, then death is a disastrous end to life. 
It's just a cease to exist. You know, we do all of this work and we get through each day and we, we struggle through all of these problems. At the end, we just cease to exist. But, but we don't have to live life that way. And that's not how life was intended for us to live because our God is a God of intention and creativity and power. And when we view death God's way, we realize, number two, that life is a gift and we can enjoy it. Life is a gift and we can enjoy it. Solomon gives us three instructions next that help us enjoy the life that God has gifted us, even though death is inevitable. First of all, he says we should rejoice. We should rejoice in the life that God has given us. Verse 7, life is sweet and it pleases the eyes to see the sun. However, many years anyone may live, let them enjoy them all. But let them remember the days of darkness for there will be many. Everything come to come is meaningless. You who are young, be happy while you are young and let your heart give you joy in the days of your youth. Follow the ways of your heart and whatever your eyes see, but know that for all these things, God will bring you into judgment. Joy comes in the morning, right? Joy. We need to rejoice. It brings joy to the day when we accept each day as a fresh gift from God. God, thank you for waking me up this morning. Thank you for, for providing for me. By the grace of God, there go I. Solomon seems to be encouraging young people. So if you're young in here or you consider yourself young, I'm kind of in that point in life where I'm like, I think I'm getting old. Right? I'm kind of in that. It's that gray area between young and old. Um, right? Look, it's easy to look far into the future for things like success and security and hope when you're young. But, but if you think about it, the older we get, the greater the struggles, right? Health, um, energy, especially energy. Um, I've heard it often said after somebody sent the grandkids home, now I know why God gave grandkids to young people. Because they have all the energy, right? I mean, we, we do lack energy. Solomon is speaking from experience here. Now, this doesn't mean that young people don't have problems and us older folks don't have any joy. That's not what he's saying. I think he's just generalizing here that, that when we are young, we have a, when you are young, you have a special opportunity in your life to live life as a gift and with joy and to enjoy it. Rejoice and enjoy life is a gift. Uh, Solomon is also not suggesting that we follow our desires without wisdom. Um, as he cautions us to be careful little eyes what we see. Be careful little feet where you go and be careful little heart where you lead because they can lead us into sin. And we need to be cautious about that. He says at the end of that, God will bring you into judgment. So live your life, live your life with joy. But... Be cautious, be wise as you live your life. Ephesians 5, 15 through 17. Be very careful then how you live, not as unwise, but as wise, making the most of every opportunity because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the Lord's will is. Rejoice in the gifts from God, not, not our selfish and sinful desires. When we enjoy life within our relationship with Jesus and in the, in the will of God, it, it's an adventure. And, and it is a gift. Look, we have nothing to worry about when we're living our life for him. I don't care if you're doing the wrong job. 
you know, maybe, maybe you're not really into this job at the moment. God can bless you and will bless you even in the midst of that, even as you look to him to get wisdom on what next step to take. Where should I go next? What should I do next? Rejoice. Then in verse 10, Solomon says that in order to enjoy the gift of life God has given, we need to remove So we rejoice and we remove. So then, verse 10, banish anxiety from your heart and cast off the troubles of your body for youth and vigor are meaningless. Remove anxiety. In fact, he uses the the strong word banish. At least that's the English translation. And, And when we're connected daily to the vine that is Jesus Christ, he is the vine, we are the branches. We're able to let those worries and let those fears and let those troubles transfer to his shoulders. They become Christ's burden for us. We can lay them at his feet. It's important that young people establish these disciplines to banish anxiety from from your heart and cast off troubles of your body and habits early on in your life. In some marriage counselors that I listen to, they say, you know, you need to... uh, you need to uh, carve out some good grooves, some good ruts in your marriage early on because you're going to be in them for a very long time, right? We need to establish those things in our, in our lives when you're young so that when you're old, you're, you won't be living a meaningless life. Now, Philippians 4, 6 through 9 uh, speaks to this. Do not be anxious about anything, but in every, every situation, by prayer and petition with thanksgiving, present your request to God. And what will happen then is the peace of God, which transcends all understanding. We don't get it. We don't know how it works. But when we do, he gives us that peace. It will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. Whenever you have learned or received or heard, whatever you have learned or received or heard from me or seen in me, put it into practice and the God of peace will be with you. Carve out those good ruts. Remove that anxiety Give it over to Jesus Christ. Let it go. Uh, Warren Wiersbe said it this way, the best way to have a, a happy adult life and a contented old age is to get a good start early in life and avoid the things that will bring trouble later on. Young people who take care of their minds and bodies, avoid destructive sins of the flesh, and build good habits of health and holiness have a better chance for happy adult years than those who sow their wild oats and then pray for a crop failure. Did you catch that? Right? Let's not sow our wild oats and then pray for a crop failure. Because it'll probably grow. It will affect us. Charles Spurgeon said, Youthful sins lay a foundation for aged sorrows. Boy, how true that is. How right he is. To enjoy life as the gift that it is we rejoice, we remove, and then we remember. Then we remember. Uh, Look at chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. Remember your creator in the days of your youth, before the days of trouble come and the years approach, when you will say, I find no pleasure in them. Before the sun, the light, and the moon, and the stars grow dark, and the clouds return after the rain. Remember, Solomon says. Now, Solomon doesn't mean here just think about God. 
You know, make sure God's on your mind occasionally throughout the day. No, this third instruction means to pay attention. To pay attention to or to consider with the intention of obeying. So remember means pay attention to. Consider this with intention of obeying. Jesus said it this way in Matthew chapter 6 verse 33, right? But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. And all these things will be given to you as well. When, when we get involved in the enjoyments and opportunities of our youth, uh, no matter what age you are, even as parents and grandparents, we can fall into this trap. We can easily begin to neglect the Lord in our daily life. We just forget. We, we, don't, we don't consider him with intention. We don't set a schedule. We don't create routines in our life where, where we spend time in God's word with our children or in devotion or praying with our children. We just sort of Hope that there'll be time sometime during the day for that to happen if we even think about it at all. We need to be intentional about that. We need to seek first his kingdom. Honestly, we need to, we got to get our priorities right when it comes to life. Because this life that, that, that is not, that is not about us against flesh and blood, but against the dark powers of this world is, it's the real deal. And Satan's intent is to kill and destroy the souls and lives of our children. And we got to do whatever we can to encourage them, to teach them, to grow them. We can easily neglect the Lord and we must not. We can easily live by our own agendas and our own wisdom. Uh, and then verses 3 through 7, uh, there's, there's argument about this. Um, but these are some of the most imaginative descriptions, I think, of old age and death found anywhere in any literature. Now, you may have read this this week and it didn't, it didn't sweep over you, but let's just, let's just see if it does. Uh, see, many times in the Bible, our bodies are described as a house or a tent, right? Second uh, Peter 1.13, for instance, Peter writes, I think it is right to refresh your memory as long as I live in the tent of this body. So when Solomon is talking about the house in verse 3 of chapter 12, I think he's referring to our body. So let's, lead, let's read through it with that perspective, starting in verse 3. When the keepers of the house tremble and the strong men stoop, could, be, could he be talking about our muscles and our legs and our knees, our backs? When the grinders cease because they are few, what is he talking about there? What happens when we get old? Right? Our teeth fall out. Grinders. And those looking through the windows grow dim. Our vision? When the doors to the street are closed and the sound of grinders fade, the doors to the street could be our ears because I can't even hear my own teeth sometimes. My wife will attest to that. I'll be sitting there eating something really tasty and then I'll look over and she'll be just glaring at me. And I'll be like, but I got my mouth closed. Doesn't matter. I am a loud chewer whether my mouth is closed or not. I can't hear it because the sound of grinding fades. When people rise up at the sound of birds, what happens the older you get? You can't sleep as long. You don't think you need as much sleep. You hear those doggone birds. 
I'm, that's one good thing about the days being shorter. The birds don't get up as early and they all go south so we can sleep longer as old people, right? But all their songs grow faint, right? Voices quiver. Our songs grow faint and weaken when people are afraid of heights and of dangers in the streets. If we stumble, our brittle bones may break in our older age. When the almond trees blossom, almond tree blossoms are white. So our hair turn white, falls out the older we get. And the grasshopper drags itself along. Towards the end of the summer, I guess that's what happens. Our energy drags at the end of the summer. And desire no longer is stirred. He could be talking about appetite. He could be talking about sexual desire. Solomon writes about that. Then people go to their eternal home. What is that? That's death. There's this process of death. And then ultimately we die and mourners go about the streets. And he repeats himself in verse 6. Remember him. Remember him. Our creator, Yahweh, consider with the intention of obeying him. Declare with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead. Remember him. And you must remember him before the silver cord is severed and the golden bowl is broken. Before the pitcher is shattered at the spring and the, and the wheel broken at the well and the dust returns to the ground it came from. And the spirit returns to God who gave it. Because if we don't remember him, surrender to him and obey him, verse 8 is true. Meaningless, meaningless, says the teacher. Everything is meaningless. Lived solely under the sun. We will cease to exist in this life. But we will all live into eternity forever. The question is, where is that going to be? And we need to have that tree fall where it will lie on the right side, not the wrong side. That's why we remember him. That's why we don't live life solely under the sun. Because it is heaven. It's smoke. We chase after so many different things in our life that don't fulfill us, that don't, don't provide satisfaction or joy. You see, life, life with Jesus Christ is an adventure and we need to live it by faith. And life is a gift that God has given us. He has given us all things. We need to enjoy it. And number three, life is a school. Learn your lessons. Verse nine, not only was the teacher wise, but he also imparted knowledge to the people. He pondered and searched out and set in order many Proverbs. So verse nine there. Solomon was the wisest man to ever live. He was wise. He got distracted for a period of time in his life, and we're seeing him reflect back on that sinful living that didn't provide satisfaction. That is a privilege that we have with the book of Ecclesiastes. We don't have to live through all of that. We don't have to experience all of the sin of life so that we can learn those lessons. We can look back and we can see what he uh, wrote down as a wise man and we can learn from him. Solomon wrote Proverbs. He wrote Song of Solomon. He wrote Ecclesiastes. They contain great wisdom for us for living our life every day. And he ordered them in an orderly fashion, it says, he imparted this knowledge uh, and he searched out and he set in order many Proverbs. He was careful in his teaching. 
He chose his words wisely. He has taught us well, right? He was gracious. He used pleasing language many times, but he certainly didn't water down the message. Just like Jesus, when he taught, Solomon was able to mix grace and truth. John 1.17 says that for the law was given through Moses, grace and truth came through Christ Jesus. One of the reasons that is true is because the words to us from Solomon were inspired by God himself. Verse 10, the teacher searched to find just the right words, and what he wrote was upright and true. The words of the wise are like goads. They're collected sayings like firmly embedded nails given by one shepherd. Given by one shepherd. Given by the one shepherd. Second Peter chapter 1 verse 20 through 21. Above all, you must understand that no prophecy of scripture came about by the prophet's own interpretation of things. For prophecy never had its origin in the human will, but prophets, though human, spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. That's, Saul, that's Solomon. That's what we have in our hands today. We saw the power and inspiration of God's word last week as Rob shared his story. As he wrestled with his own personal attitudes and thoughts and arrogance. God's word, God's word was enough. All God had to do was illuminate that in the eyes of Rob and he saved a sinner. And he does that with each and every one of us. And after we're saved, he continues to illuminate that. The Holy Spirit shines a light on God's word so that we know the right things to do, so that we know uh, the, the right ways to, to say things, to speak to others, to, uh, that, we, that we know when we come to a place and, and we wonder. I mean, I, I talked about a couple of these on retreat this weekend where I was in situations where I, I, was, I was out of my depth. But God had me there. And my first response was, God, you got to help me. You got to help me swim. You got to keep me afloat in this situation. And he did. Every time. Every time he had me in a place where if I'd have relied on my own wisdom and my own strength and my own psychological um, intuitiveness, I would have sunk to the bottom. But I didn't. Solomon, though human, spoke from God as he was carried along by the Holy Spirit. It's why we're cautioned many times in Scripture not to add to what God has given us. Be warned, my son, verse 12, of anything in addition to them. Of making many books, there is no end, and much study wearies the body. The, the Sadducees and the Pharisees were notorious for that. They heaped on burdens to the people. They should have listened to Solomon. Yes, life is a school. We often refer to it as the school of hard knocks, right? But when we humble ourselves before God and learn from him, we're not only, we not only learn good lessons, but our lives are changed forever and for the better. Our textbook, so to speak, is the Bible. 
And our teacher is the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit then empowers human teachers, Bible study teachers, preachers, to instruct us. And that learning comes from the word of God. And there are also those times when God longs to teach you personally, face to face. Just you and him. Just you and him and his word. And as we read and meditate and sit quietly in the presence of God, he leads us and teaches us. He guides our thoughts and our feet along his path of righteousness. We never stop learning. My dad died at 90 years old and he was still learning how to be faithful and how to live his life for his Savior, Jesus Christ. Is that you? I hope so. I want that to be me. The riches of Christ are unsearchable, Scripture tells us. There are always new lessons to learn and new tests to face as we seek to grow in grace and in the knowledge of our Savior, Jesus Christ. 2 Peter 3.18 says this, But grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. To him be glory both now and forever. Amen. May that be our life. Life is an adventure, so let's live by faith. Life is a gift, so be sure to enjoy it. Life is a school, so I pray that we will all learn our lessons. And number four, life is a stewardship. Fear God. Verse 13, now all has been heard. Here is the conclusion of the matter. Fear God and keep his commandments, for this is the duty of all mankind. So, I mean, we don't own our lives, right? They are a gift from God. He created us. He knit us together. He breathed life into us. He gave us the breath of life. Acts chapter 17, verse 24 through 28. It's long, but it just needs to be here. The God who made the world and everything in it is the Lord of heaven and earth and does not live in temples built by human hands. And he is not served by human hands as if he needed anything. Rather, he himself gives everyone life and breath and everything else. From one man he made all the nations that they should inhabit the whole earth. And he marked out their appointed times in history and the boundaries of their lands. God did this so that they would seek him and perhaps reach out for him and find him. Though he is not far from any one of us. For in him we live and move and have our being. As some of your own poets have said, we are are his offspring. I love that. I should have made that your memory verse for today. For in him we live and move and have our being. What a gift. You see, with that gift, we are then stewards of the life God has given us. And one day we will have to make an account to him for how we live that life. Some people are only spending their lives. Others are wasting their lives, and there are a few who are investing their lives. Let's be investors. Right? Let's not be a reservoir of God's grace. Let's be a channel into the lives of other people. Because honestly, reservoirs, or like the Dead Sea, for instance, everything goes in and nothing comes out, and, and it just eventually stinks. It just becomes bad. Putrid. But if we live as a channel, 
a channel of a, a person who, who is, is living before God and God in our soul is, is welling up like the wellspring of life. And then we begin to pour that out into the lives of other people around us, stewarding our life in that way. God can do amazing things. Corey Tenboom said, the measure of a life after all is not its duration, but its donation. Now, here's three ways that we can be sure our lives count. Three obligations that that Solomon gives us. The first is to fear God. It's to fear God. Ecclesiastes ends where the book of Proverbs begins, doesn't it? First chapter of Proverbs said that that the beginning of all knowledge is what? The fear of the Lord. With admonition, Solomon says, fear the Lord. And this fear is an attitude of reverence and awe. We show him this reverence because we love him and we respect his power and greatness. When we fear him, we pay attention to his word and we obey it. We don't test God or toy with his grace by playing with sin. And unholy fear makes people run away from God. But holy fear, this brings us to our knees in humble submission. Oswald Chambers said it this way. The remarkable thing about fearing God is that when you fear God, you fear nothing else. Whereas if you do not fear God, you fear everything else. Wow. Isn't that great? How true. God said it this way through the prophet Isaiah. Isaiah 8, 13. The Lord Almighty is the one you are to regard as holy. He is the one you are to fear. He is the one you are to dread. He is all powerful. He is all holy. He is all just. He is all everything. Oh, Lucy said, I don't know if I want to stand before Aslan, right? Is he safe? Oh, dear, he's not safe. But he's good. People die when they come into the presence of God face to face. He is all powerful, but he loves us oh so dearly, and we need to respect him for that. Fear God. The second obligation is to keep his commandments. God created all of life. He created everything. Right? I mean, we're getting new, amazing pictures of the universe or of what we can at least see into as far as the universe right now. He created every inch of expanse, every galaxy, every star, every planet. He molded and fashioned the planet Earth, and then he filled it. So don't you think he knows how best to live in it? Don't you think he knows how to operate the human body and what we should do and what's good and what's not? I mean, you know the Bible acronym, right? Basic instructions before leaving Earth. Wise are those who read and obey it, all of it. And as we steward these lives that God has gifted us, may we listen to his guidance and his command and obey. Now, I'm not sure, but maybe Solomon was the first one to say this phrase. If all else fails, read the instructions. Right? I tried to find it, but I remember putting, I remember putting an air conditioning, um, an air conditioner 
on a tractor one time and it was a John Deere tractor and the, the, uh, the compressor was in a box and I mean, we're trying to put it on, right? And we've got the dryer and it's drying out the system. And, and I look in and I pull out this little piece of paper in this John Deere box and, and it's a picture of a farmer kicking something. And it literally says on it, if all else fails, read the instructions. That's so true. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, but fools despise wisdom and instruction. Let's keep his commandments. Now, the last phrase in verse 13 can be translated, this is the end of man, or this is for all men. G. Campbell uh, Morgan suggests this is the whole of man. And he goes on to write that man in his entirety must begin with God, the, the whole man, the fear of God. When Solomon looked at life under the sun, everything was fragmented. He couldn't see any pattern. He was lost. It was chaotic. It was heaven. It was smoke. Every time he thought he was going to reach for something, it disappeared. It was chaos. But when he looked at life from God's point of view, everything came together into one whole. And if we want to be whole, we must begin with God. Fear God, keep his commandments, and the third and final obligation is that we prepare for final judgment. Look at verse 14. For God will bring every deed into judgment, including every hidden thing, whether it is good or evil. Look, it, right now is the time to make a decision. Do you believe in Jesus or not? Are you going to surrender your life to him or not? Because if you don't in this moment and you step out that do those doors and you die of a heart attack, it's too late to make the decision. Judgment is here when we take our last breath or Jesus returns, whichever comes first. We don't know. We need to be prepared for the final judgment. And we've seen this before. It may seem like your neighbor's getting away with living the way that they want to without, confidence, with, without consequence, right? It just seems like somehow they're, they're, they're doing great in life. They have all of this stuff and they're not even following God. What's the deal with that? And it may seem like you yourself are getting away with murder, so to speak, in your sinful life. But that is just a lie from Satan that we can get away with it. Our sin will eventually find us out. In fact, our sins will always find us out. Our sins will be exposed and judged righteously. And those who have not trusted in Jesus Christ as their Savior will be doomed forever. That's the truth. Charles Spurgeon said it this way, The eternity of punishment is a thought which crushes the heart. The Lord God is slow to anger, but when he is once aroused to it, as he will be against those who finally reject his son, he will put forth all his omnipotence to crush his enemies. I mean, I, I know what it's like to come home to a parent who's not very happy with you because you made a really, really bad decision. Revelation 20, 11 through 15. Then I saw a great white throne and him who was seated on it. The earth and the heavens fled from his presence and there was no place for them. And I saw the dead, great and small, standing before the throne and books were opened. Another book was opened, which is the book of life. 
The dead were judged according to what they had done as recorded in the books. The sea gave up the dead that were in it, and death and Hades gave up the dead that were in them, and each person was judged according to what they had done. Then death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. The lake of fire is the second death. Anyone whose name was not found written in the book of life was thrown into the lake of fire. Is your name in the book of life? Because if it isn't, eternity is a really, really long time to live in the lake of fire. Absent from the Lord. But for those who have trusted Jesus Christ and those who will, because of our testimony and the way that we live our life, Romans 8, 1 says, therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Yeah. Amen. I mean, that's great news. That's life with Jesus. That's not life under the sun. Part of the stewardship of our lives is to bear witness to the grace and mercy of Jesus Christ so that others may hear and know. John 5.24 says, Very truly I tell you, whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life. And I will not and will not be judged, but has crossed over from death to life. This is life changing. This is eternity changing. And we all need to be prepared for the final judgment. Because we will all face. Every, every knee will bow. And every tongue confess that Jesus is Lord. But if the moment, the first moment in time that you confess that he's Lord is on the other side of this life, it's too late. But you still will. Because he is. We can't change that. He is creator. He is king. He is Lord. He is savior. So is life worth living? Oh, yes, it is. It is absolutely worth living. If you are alive through faith in Jesus Christ. It's then and only then that we can be satisfied no matter what circumstance we find ourselves in. No matter what God has permitted to come into our lives, he who has the Son has life. He who does not have the Son of God does not have life. In Christ, we have life and we are satisfied. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, thank you. Thank you for this morning. Thank you for this book of Ecclesiastes and the struggle and the wrestling that we have, have had. And, and, and maybe, I know me, I have greater understanding of what Solomon was saying. And Lord Jesus, I pray this morning that if there is anybody in this room or watching online, or if this might be another day that somebody's uh, watching or listening to this later, And they know in their mind that they have never surrendered their life to you. And they know in their mind that, that, that you are standing right now at the door of their heart and you are knocking. And you are saying, hey, I'm here. 
I know all the things that you've done in your past. I died for those things. I shed my blood for those things. I conquered those things in my resurrection. I have power over those things. Open the door of your heart to me that I may come in. And that I may dine with you and that I may teach you and that I may strengthen you and empower you and give you the gift of the Holy Spirit. If that's you this morning, I pray right now that you would believe, that you would confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, that he is God. And that you would believe in your heart and be saved. Don't wait until it's too late because when that tree falls, it's going to lay there where it lays, right or left. Lord Jesus, for, for others of us who maybe our priorities are screwed up, maybe we've been, maybe just this morning we're like, man, I have, I've just been living my own life. I, I've been living it under the sun. God, I pray that you would hear us repent of that surrender ourselves to you and give us direction as we seek to grow, read your word, trust you, teach our children and our families and our neighbors and bear testimony to what you've done in our life. And I also just want to encourage anyone that if today is the day, send us an email, send us a text message. Our, our numbers are, are in the worship folder. Our numbers are online on the church website. Let us know. We, we got material we'd love to give you to kind of help you get started in, your, in this adventure that is seeking first the kingdom of God. And Jesus, I pray for those who are going to be baptized next week who are saying publicly, yes, I have surrendered my life to Jesus. I want the world to know. May next week be a grand celebration of life in Christ. And now, Father, as we sing this last song, I pray that your spirit would just draw our hearts in, that we would, that we would fear, we would revere you in these five, final moments of our service today. In Jesus' name, amen.